Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. From Canada Land, this is Oppo. I'm Justin Lee in Toronto, and I'm opposed to Jen Gerson. I'm Jen Gerson, also in Toronto, and I'm opposed to Justin Lee. We're actually opposed to each other this time. Get face the, to face. Get the socialism off of me. It stings. <laughs> it stings. <laughs> This week on the show, Jen loads one into the chamber and sets up the next generation of the gun debate in Canada. And if that's not enough, we'll be getting into why Justin Trudeau's virtue signaling values test for federally funded jobs is just some more pinko nonsense. Yay, abortion! (laughs) And finally, I sit down with an Ontario NDP candidate to ask why her party is so good at losing and to find out if, this time, her party can get out of the way of the Doug Ford Express. FreshBooks is a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster. Now used by over 10 million people worldwide. For your 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com oppo and enter oppo in the how did you hear about us section. Oppo is also supported in part by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes. This kit is meant for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed so there's no food waste, and it's all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash oppo and enter the promo code OPPO when you subscribe. So Justin, I'd like to talk a bit about guns. I like me some guns. I'm sure we'll have nothing but a measured and rational debate from both sides on this issue. I'm really looking forward to our feedback. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, If you are a gun nut and want to correct us on some incorrect terminology, don't. I don't care. No, no, that's don't care. you can absolutely correct me on the terminology. That's fine. Uh, Dad, I'm, I, you know how to reach me. You know my email address. I will not block you this time, I promise. So last Thursday, the Liberals tabled C-71, which proposed a rash of new gun control measures. The most contentious of them seems to be the demand that gun sellers now keep fulsome records for up to 20 years on individual gun sales, a proposal that gun owners are just calling a gun registry in disguise. There are some other key points to consider as well, however. The RCMP will now scour a potential gun owner's total life history seeking red flags like criminal and domestic violence records, but also mental health and addiction issues. Once a license is granted, police will now also now go through a process called continuous eligibility, which looks like it will regularly examine the database of legal gun owners to see if there's anybody who is on there who really shouldn't be. Justin, I think it's worthwhile to delve into some of the pros and cons of these proposals, but first of all, I think we need to have a conversation about why we're having this conversation right now. Yeah, so we can get into this specifics about whether or not all of these proposals are good or bad. They're good. I think it's pretty obvious that this is a political maneuver. The Trudeau government has looked at what's happening south of the border, looked at the Parkland survivors and said, we want to join that bandwagon. We're hearing the calls in the U.S. to improve gun laws. And even though the situation is quite different here in Canada, we're going to beef up our gun laws anyway because it's in the news and we'll be able to sort of, you know, jump on the bandwagon of the U.S. effort. Honestly, it's 
pretty obvious, but nevertheless, it's not a bad thing. The Liberal Party did run on a platform of beefing up Canada's gun laws. We haven't actually substantially changed our gun laws in decades, apart from destroying the long gun registry. And honestly, it's probably time for a bit of an update. (sighs) Okay. Firstly, if you were to sort of create an updated list of gun laws that weren't so obviously tied to something like Parkland, like a really emotional, highly symbolic, really virtue signaling type event, I think that most gun owners would probably be a a little bit more meetable right out of the gate. But when you're so obviously tying it to an American event, this is what really, I think, pisses a lot of gun owners off. And I I don't claim to speak on behalf of gun owners here. I'm only speaking on behalf of my dad, who is going to yell at me (laughs) a lot this weekend. But this is the problem, is that To be perfectly frank, downtown Toronto liberals and people who are the most likely to clamor for gun control legislation and tougher gun control legislation in Canada often don't have even the the closest – often don't have any idea what the gun control situation is here in Canada. Sure. On the whole, our gun control legislation is pretty strict and it's pretty good. I'm not saying that there is – it's perfect. I mean nothing's ever perfect or that it can't be improved. Of course it can't be improved. But if you want to start having this conversation about, hey, we want to toughen up the gun control or we want to close off those loopholes, you should have a really, really good understanding of what the situation actually is and not just assume that because things are a shit show down in the States that they're also a shit show up here because they're not. And that's totally fair. I mean, yeah, our gun control situation is relatively good. It's not super easy to get a handgun in Canada. No, it's not it's super not- easy easy. at all. Yeah. I mean, there still are nearly a million handguns out there in Canada in private ownership. So it's not not as though it's impossible to get. But the the problem isn't the ownership. The problem is responsible use. I mean, that's that's the issue. But but hang on. But let's talk about the situation as it stands, right? So, you know, we do have a relatively good vetting process whereby the RCMP has the ability to designate certain weapons either as an assault or an automatic style weapon and therefore restricted entirely and, uh, you know, semi-automatic and basically uh, hunting rifles as, you know, long guns that are available for the public to purchase, of course, with a license. And the with a license thing is a very important caveat because to get a license for a gun in Canada is a pain in the ass. And, you know, this is not, you know, this is no secret for anyone who owns a gun. It's quite difficult. You have to go to training. You have to apply. There's a long waiting period. There are background checks, mental health checks, all the things that are currently being talked about in the States, we already do here. Exactly. And that's good. Yes. There's no doubt about that. But we still have hundreds of gun-related homicides in Canada. We still have multiple mass shootings. Suicide by firearm is still incredibly common in this country. Gun ownership is one of the highest in the world. I don't think it's obscene to say that there's a couple of the steps we could take. Uh, yeah, I would say the, the big issue for gun ownership is actually suicide. Like 80% of all deaths by firearms in Canada, last I checked, were suicides. They weren't homicides. But, so, but over, let's not talk about that as though it's unavoidable. We can, we no, can reduce the number of suicides if we restrict but I mean, gun access. But, but I mean, there's, there's, it's always a balance, right? Like it's always a balance between, you know, how much are, are these gun control measures actually going to restrict and limit these sorts of unwanted things like death, suicide by firearm versus how many does. of them. Well, yeah, but there's always a diminishing returns curve when you start to run sure. into these issues, right? That's, that, that's my point. Is that, yeah, I think that the gun control laws that are currently in Canada are actually really quite good and they're really quite restrictive and that's that's good. I mean, I, you wouldn't see, I don't see anybody in Canada calling for a less restrictive gun control regime. And like people like who are even big gun nuts here in Canada, you know, I talk to them and they go down to the States and to be perfectly honest, their minds are blown about what goes down down to the yeah. States. They're just like, honestly, those people are effing nuts. Like I want nothing to do with the regime they have down there. What they have down there is not responsible. It's not the culture of responsible gun ownership that we have here in, in Canada. Canada. And the thing that I would say here is that I don't even think that 
that you've been quite fulsome enough when you describe what it takes to actually get a gun here in Canada. Sure. Like, I actually went through the Canada Firearm Safety course after, I will tell you my own personal story. I've written about it in the past. My house got broken into, and it freaked me out. And so, honestly, like, I know you, there is no culture of self-defense here in Canada, and you can't, like, have a gun for the purposes of self-defense, but it freaked me out enough, and, you know, I have enough of a sort of family history with, with gun ownership that I was like, okay, well, I want to go through the Canada Firearm Safety course and understand what it is. And at the very least, honestly, I think actually every journalist should go and do it because it was actually an extremely informative class. It was actually really entertaining. It was it was a wonderful thing to be able to go and do so that I had an understanding of like, I had to take a written test. I had to take a practical test. You have to sign out a form. You have to do actually separate sets of processes for both just regular sort of hunting rifles versus handguns. Handguns are a whole other restricted class in addition to, to quote unquote long guns, which is kind of a misnomer. But anyway, you know, you actually can't just carry a handgun at any point here in Canada, you actually have to have something called an authorization to transport. If you want to take a handgun, for example, to a shooting range, you need a specific authorization to transport to take it out of your house, unload it in the lockbox, take it down to the gun range. You have like one license that will literally take you just for that transport and one license that will take you literally back. And that's it. Like, you can't stop at McDonald's on the way home. Like, that's it. So, like, and I, some of those have been loosened in the last couple yeah, of years with the conservative. But loosen, reasonably loosen. Yeah. That's what I would say. So, yeah. it's like, like, I think people who have a lot of hysteria about the gun situation in Canada just need to have an understanding of what the rules we have right now. So, here are some of the problems that I potentially have with what's being proposed here. One, I don't like tying it to something like Parkland because we don't have the same gun situation in Canada as they do in America. So I don't think that it is fair to tie it to something emotional like Parkland like that. Secondly, I think most gun sales owners would tell you like keeping detailed records of every individual gun they sell for a 20-year period is probably unreasonable. Every other what? business in this country does so for seven years. Seven years is probably more reasonable. Yeah, but but <laughs> most things you sell are not primarily used to hunt and kill. Yes, and if you're, you're going to use a gun to hunt and kill, you're going to file off the serial number anyway. You're not going to be able to trace that serial number to where it, to where it's going to eventually yeah, but it, go. It's not just serial numbers. There's other ways to trace weapons. There's other ways to track back where a certain thing was sold. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't I, think I get, that. That's... I get. I'm just I'm just saying. Like I think you should probably talk to some store owners and just get a sense of like what's reasonable, what's not reasonable, what are they doing. I think most of the sense is that 20 years is probably not super reasonable. But like, hey, open to debate on that point. The other thing that I would say is that while I have absolutely no problem with somebody who has, say, a criminal record or history of especially a history of domestic violence not being able to obtain a gun, I'm all pro. For pro that. I do sort of start to get a little wigged out when the government says that somebody who maybe had a history of mental illness in his 20s can't then potentially go that, you know, take on not, a hunting rifle in their 40s. I mean, it, it is not a, a, you know, a flat prescriptive thing. No, it's Why not. would that mental health thing be on your record? It would be probably for a criminal conviction, potentially, you know, Potential, for, no, for no, a No, because if, if, if you are going to apply for a gun, you have to disclose any mental health issues you have. Right. So, but like, it's, not, it's not an absolute prohibition. It's not an absolute prohibition, but here's where I start to get a little bit, like, tweaky, because I'm going, like, we're going to say that somebody who potentially had a mental health issue 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, as opposed to, say, five years ago, you know, might might get flagged in one of these applications. You know, I start to get a little bit wigged out about that. So it's like I would want us to have a better, clearer, detailed understanding of how the RCMP is going to use that kind of information. I especially get wigged out, to be perfectly honest, when you have the police organizations collecting information about mental health and addiction, about individuals. I don't like them having access to that information at the best of times, even if it is for something like a gun registry. I, I think that there need to be certain controls and checks and balances but, on issues okay, like but it's that. Not, it's not a gun registry. So the, the way the legislation is designed, you know, this information that we're collecting is only accessible 
formal judicial authorization. So it is not an automatic registry the RCMP can access. Like is the current situation, they need to get a warrant and go to that gun seller to get that record. So it's not a registry. I think any suggestion that it is is kind of disingenuous. Furthermore, you know, five years is not long enough to assess somebody's history, whether or not they, you know, it's it's spousal violence or potentially dangerous mental health issues. You know, we have a situation where there was a mass shooting targeting a mosque in Quebec City, where the attack was perpetrated by a guy with a handgun, which is a restricted weapon, a guy with mental health issues, with, even within the last five years in his case, who obtained that firearm legally, and a rifle that was classified and allowed to be sold freely by then the Conservative government, who overruled the RCMP in that case. This legislation also makes it harder for politicians to jump in and reclassify firearms at will. So this is not just the Parkland issue. This is also an issue we had on our own backyard that killed six worshippers in a Quebec City mosque. Hey, I'm not disputing that point, but I always get a little bit correlation causation. You know, this is the problem that I start to run into. It's like, okay, if you had had these legislations in place, would that shooting never have happened? Well, It's quite possible he wouldn't have gotten quite, that handgun. Quite, quite that, possibly that rifle he, would, he used would yeah, not have been legal. Yeah, quite possibly he couldn't have, and quite possibly he could have. I mean, he may we, have had that, we can't, we, we can't make the counterfactual here. And as I said, we start to run into the diminishing returns problem when we start to assume that just by piling on more and more and more and more and more legislation, we can therefore have an equal or effective decline in in the respective crime rate. We do know that effective gun legislation does work to reduce violent crime. For sure. I ain't going to dispute that. And as I said, I don't think most gun, responsible gun owners in Canada would dispute that point either. But up until a certain point, and at that point, you're now just piling on more and more restrictions, more and more um, okay, but we uh, haven't regulations. Piled, we, we haven't added new restrictions to Canadian gun ownership in years. And actually, we've seen... Yes, yeah, so we have to do seen, it just for the sake of it. No, I think what you're saying is, you know, there is room for debate about new gun laws, as long as they're reasonable. And what we're looking at is a set of very reasonable well, gun laws and, 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 you know, a statistical, uh, you know, impetus to do something. So, so here's, I think, here's, here's what I would say. Here's what I actually do like about the gun laws. So here's where I would end off on a positive note. I think the continuous eligibility makes all kinds of sense. And if you have the reasonable computing power to be constantly updating and looking at your databases of responsible gun owners, making sure that those gun owners don't necessarily have new convictions or new obvious mental health issues that are hitting you know, the police databases. That strikes me as a smart and reasonable thing to do and that we should be doing. So I would agree with you on that. There we go. I was right. So the great news is that spring has almost arrived. The not-so-great news, tax season is arriving along with it. If you are a freelancer like I am and you're stressed out by the stacks of receipts and spreadsheets and formatting nightmares and not enough time to deal with it all and I'm starting to get a little anxious and sweaty right now, well, listen up. Our friends at FreshBooks have created ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software that makes dealing with your taxes way less taxing. Get it? Their mobile app lets you take pictures of your receipts and organize them for later, which makes claiming expenses at tax time a breeze. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts. So next time you have to use your debit card for that meal, take a gas or a new computer for your business, boom, the purchase is recorded instantly in FreshBooks. On top of all things FreshBooks can do for you at tax time, it is really simple to create and send invoices with it. Right now, FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial to Oppo listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com forward slash Oppo and enter Oppo, O-P-P-O, in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So moving right along from guns to abortion. Good God. We're just, we're just blowing our wad here on like one show. Normally yeah. we try to space out the really no. controversial topics. This is all the fun stuff. Oh, uh, awesome. Okay. Oppo after dark. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, and I think that most of us should be, 
I am an openly pro-choice woman. Record scratch. Oh, <laughs> this is shocking. Just, that's just a placeholder so we can put the record scratch in later. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I have to confess that this jobs attestation stuff just absolutely kills me. If there is any single topic that has actually breathed life into the pro-life movement in this country, it's been the liberals' massive overreach on this issue. Even I am finding myself suddenly sympathetic to the people who want to hang around university campuses waving posters of dead fetuses. Ooh. Yeah, so if you haven't been following, this has been a huge issue for the conservatives for the last couple of weeks. Because, of course, there's nothing the Conservative Party of Canada loves more than an issue that sort of relates to abortion, but isn't really about abortion. And I think we just need to recap here. Late last year, the federal Liberals announced that to get access to funds through its Canada Summer Jobs Program, organizations would have to sign an attestation that explicitly respected reproductive rights, among others. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, the minister referred earlier to an organization that I know received tens of thousands of dollars from the Liberal member for Mississauga, Aaron Mills. But that choice by that member doesn't have anything to do with our motion today, which speaks to non-political, non-activist groups, which for reasons of conscience and their conscience rights in Section 2 of the Charter do not want to check this box. Now, will the minister support our motion, which allows these charitable organizations to continue to provide this vital work? Will she look at the motion and support it on the basis of its support for non-political, non-activist organizations? Okay, so let's get into what the attestation actually says. You probably heard a lot of reporting around this issue, but you probably haven't heard the attestation itself. So I pulled up the form where you apply for funding under the Canada Summer Job Program, and this is what it says. This is what you have to agree to. Both the job and my organization's core mandate respect individual human rights in Canada, including the values underlining the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as well as other rights. These include reproductive rights and the right to be free from discrimination on the basis of sex, religion, race, national or ethnic origin, color, mental or physical disability or sexual orientation or gender identity or expression. Okay, so let me just take an aside here. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms does not explicitly protect reproductive rights. That's No, it's an or. It's an and or, including yeah. the... Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. so like if we could get into the history of that and maybe we don't need to, but like that is just not true. It also doesn't so, include gender identity or expression. No, we're, absolutely. We're saying the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the it's, other it's, rights it's, we've it's, added. It's the Liberal government's interpretation of the Charter no, no, of Rights no, no, and no. Freedoms. That's it, exactly no, what it's it is. Not. It's no, not. It's, it's sorry, the current that, language. It's the current la- language of the Canada in, Human Rights Act there's and, nothing the, in, and the basis of the no, multiple Supreme Court No, there's nothing in either of those documents. And also, no, there's not, also no nothing in those documents. No one's saying it's in the Charter. Anyway, so anyway, that's fine. Okay, just to be clear, it's not in the Canada Charter. No, it was. Okay, I'm just making sure everybody understands that's not in the Charter. But anyway, let's be clear here. We're not just talking about funding for groups who want to go pick out outside abortion clinics, although certainly the groups that are you know, pushing this issue are such groups. There are all kinds of faith-based organizations that are offering relatively benign summer jobs that couldn't in good conscience sign this attestation. For example, say you are offering a summer job at a church bookstore or you're doing some kind of faith-based summer camp. And look, I also want to point out that I have little doubt that the liberals were initially trying to solve what they deemed to be an actual problem, namely that some pretty not-so-benign anti-abortion groups were securing access to large amounts of public cash. And I personally don't even have a problem with the government saying, hey, we don't want to fund these groups that are going around putting pictures of dead fetuses in people's mailboxes. I think the government should have the right to say, no, we don't really want to fund those types of organizations. But you don't really need an attestation to do that. 
You just need to decline the groups they're funding in the future. Well, okay, but then you get into a scenario where the government's picking and choosing which groups are actually good and bad. And yes, that's, but that's actually what probably they do all the time. Worse that, that, than no, this. no, that's that's what they do all the time. I mean, governments have the absolute right to be like, look, if your actual actions don't necessarily align with you know what we think is appropriate, like governments make those calls. That is actually what they're there to do. I think I would prefer a very upfront it's piece of language. It's not constitutional, in here. dude. Of course, it's constitutional. No, it's not. It's being challenged, and my guess is that it Just probably is going ch- to strict. My guess is it probably is going to get struck down. But anyway, you don't I have an absolute right to government funding. No, for your of summer course programs. you don't. Of course you don't. But you also don't necessarily need an attestation to do what the government is hoping to do. See, the attestation is, in my opinion, way too far. And the conservatives are not advertising on this point. Churches are raising holy hell. And then I mentioned that nobody was even talking about abortion rights until the liberals decided to double down on this silly online checkbox. That's, I think, my fundamental problem about all of this. In a bid to sort of appear virtuous and holier than thou, they've actually awoken the sleeping dragon of anti-abortion activists in this country. Oh, I mean, let's be real. It's not a sleeping dragon. I mean, they wanted to do this. This is a fight yes, they, they want to and, pick. And, and, they want and, to fundraise and, on this. Just correct. like the conservatives want to fundraise on the opposite side. Absolutely. But you want to know what? They were looking for a hill to die on and the liberals were like, look at my hill. It's shiny and green and it's big and it <laughs> towers over the sea. Like, like that's, that's, I think, my issue. And I, I think what they could have, what the liberals actually could have done here is that when church groups came forward with actually legitimate concerns. It's just like, look, uh, you know, we're doing a church group. We're offering summer jobs. We can't in good conscience and in good faith sign this attestation. Do you think maybe you want to consider rewording this or re-approaching your process here? The liberals could have actually backed down and instead they didn't. They doubled down on this issue because now they're going to make a goddamn point on the issue. And for me, I think what scares me about all of this, honestly, and I'm talking to you as someone who, like, I don't want governments necessarily touching these issues. I don't want them anywhere near it. But the liberals' decision to sort of virtue signal on these issues is a bigger risk to abortion rights in a lot of ways than them simply I just oh no 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 dude that. so though because I honestly no I honestly do believe this by doing things like taking Peggy Harder off of the chair of the committee and status of women by putting forward these attestation rights and getting uh, religious groups across the country completely riled up on these issues actually starts to give red meat to the sorts of people who are going what? to use it this to is, advertise and fundraise what? on behalf of anti-abortion Where was issues the same sort of outrage when the Harper government was systematically shutting down every individual MP who ever even wanted to talk about the possibility of even modifying slightly Canada's abortion laws or lack thereof. I because actually in have those a lot cases, of... I, in those hang on, cases, I have wait, a lot wait, of that, wait, that's on, that would be on my, my side. They were operating on that. They, they, were, they were shutting down private MPs on abortion issues because they knew that if they actually let their MPs speak on abortion issues, they were going to create a giant abortion rights conflagration oh, in politics. heaven forbid we let individual MPs speak their mind and actually represent their constituents. I have a they, lot of sympathy for those guys. They were shutting down because Mark they did not Moore, want to have Stephen their Woodworth. entire like political agenda completely derailed on abortion rights. That's why they were shutting that okay, down. So wait, so we're, we're totally sympathetic to the Prime Minister's office telling individual MPs what they can and can't say, but somehow the federal government creating a tiny rule that might actually reduce some federal funding for some church groups who, by the way, are doing just fine with all of their tax-free status. Look, if you want to have that an is argument, the real issue here. If, like, if you want I, this is like a argument, weird argument. Look, look, if you want to have an argument about the fact that none of these groups should be accessing any federal funds at all, and I'm actually the, kind of open to that <laughs> argument. <laughs> like, if you want to just cut the state country out of summer jobs <laughs> argument, I'm actually kind of there with you. <laughs> and Okay, but here, let me say this, because I think this is the reason it's not going to be found unconstitutional. This is not a target against all faith groups. The United Church going to do just fine under these new rules. The Anglican Church, going to do just fine. There's going to be a lot, and there's actually a lot of religious organizations that are not 
part and parcel of the church itself who will be able to sign that attestation without a problem because the language in there says it's not what in my heart of hearts do I believe what does my good book says no what it says here is you know is it the core mandate of my organization and is it in the job so so long as the mandate of this program so or this or this children or, or no 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 or right? this you know no, if it's a Catholic bookstore that has nothing to a do Catholic with a woman's right to choose would, bookstore would not be able to sign that attestation I absolutely think they'd be able nonsense to. there's no Catholic bookstore in this country that is going to sign an attestation that says that our core mandate fundamentally respects... As a bookstore? Absolutely not. I'm is sorry. Is the bookstore Dude, like... have you been in a Catholic church? I was raised in them. Oh, Shit! so was I. No! No! It will never happen. There is no Catholic organization that is going to sign that attestation Wait, so a Catholic bookstore's mandate is to deny women Catholic, the reproductive rights? A Catholic bookstore's mandate is to respect the fundamental and foundational teachings of the Catholic church, which teaches very explicitly that abortion is a sin. So no, I, there's absolutely I think that's not. a stretch. Oh, man. I think I'm, if you want to make a point I'm, about I'm this, opening, you can refuse to sign I'm it. I'm opening our inbox to any Catholic <laughs> no, God, pastors. No. Please, please. Like, like legit, legitimate Catholic father who wants to like get on side with Justin here and that you think your church is totally cool with signing that attestation. Uh, uh, look, hey, I will put out a here. Twitter poll. I know all the Catholic priests nowadays you are on Twitter. You take the Catholic and Pentecostals. I'll have the United Church, the <laughs> Presbyterians. Oh, thanks. <laughs> No, I love you, my Catholic people. It is important to note that the liberal government has acknowledged that there is a slight problem. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. A slight problem. In their language, a slight problem. And they're opening to modifying the language, okay. but not until next year. Okay. So this year, and this fine, year there actually fine, have been a number of cool. denials from faith-based organizations other, applying the for their free money from the government. So, turn I mean, you know, all important context we have to add in here, but, you know. I let's just say let's withdraw all federal funding from the church. All right, cool. Yeah, that's I'm down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That, Perfect. We'll finish. We no agree. problem. <laughs> and now for a reoccurring feature on Oppo, Red Stream, Blue Stream, where we wade hip deep into Mark Zuckerberg's toxic infinity pool and see what the ideologues in our feed are talking about this week. So, Jen, you're slightly to the right of Margaret Thatcher's ghost. What's going on in your feed? Well, Justin, when I can't be bothered taking away milk from children and shitting on minors, <laughs> I take it away from my child, too. I'm just like, no, give me your milk. So such thing as free milk. All right. So my token lefty friend, Max Fawcett, who uh, now actually works with the Alberta NDP government, has gone done stepped in it. A guy named Kyle Kashev puts on his Twitter profile, just canceled my Hulu subscription. I encourage everyone to do the same until they reinstate Laura Ingram. It's baffling how Fortune 500 companies allowed themselves to be bullied by a teenager. And Max chimes in, Cuck's conservatives are the best, so fragile. 
What he didn't realize is that Mr. Kyle Kashuv is a Parkland <sighs> shooting survivor. Uh... Womp, womp, womp. Anyway, the Twitter backlash he's been getting for this because, A, you know, he's gone after a shooting survivor. This guy was underage and he's kind of used a slightly uh, off-color, sexually tinged term to uh, hit this guy. Has been overwhelming. Thousands and thousands and thousands of the right-wing trolls have gone after him. He's even made... The Milo Show website, Dangerous.com. They've written him up. They've called attention to the fact that he is working for the Alberta government. Max, I've kind of chatted a little bit with him, is limping into his corner. I think he feels quite chastened, so to speak. Ezra Levant chimed in on him. Actually, also, Ezra Levant has featured like a 20-minute profile of taking down Max Fawcett, which was quite fascinating to watch because, you know, I don't think most people know who Max Fawcett <laughs> is at all. Oh, never, never underestimate Ezra's ability to go after him. Anyone. Anyone. Absolutely anyone. I'm looking, I'm waiting for mine, Ezra. Where's, where's mine? Where's oh, my takedown? Oh, he's done a couple on me before. Oh, has he? They were weak. Ugh. I don't know. Ezra has just like become like the anti-liberal tin man, just kind of wandering through the. He's got an audience, though, man. He's got an audience. Oh, um. Anyway, so this thing has just been taking off. It's been overwhelming. This um, is unfortunate. You know, but you know, this is what happens. I mean, you kind of have to know who you're Twitter shaming before you do it. And I think you know we can probably assume Max didn't realize the person he was picking on was a school shooting survivor, but. Tough shit. I mean, you know what? When you make fun of somebody on Twitter, sometimes you have to reap the consequences. That being said, this Kyle Kashev, this school shooting survivor, actually was picking on some of his fellow school shooting survivors as well. So that makes this all the murkier. Even Milo's site acknowledges at the bottom of the page that uh, he basically put in a picture of David Hogg, one of the other survivors who's been at the forefront of this activism around the uh, around reforming America's gun laws, who's sort of doing this kind of raised fist salute, and he puts out this thing saying, caption it, and... Unsurprisingly, the entire right-wing internet went after him as a Hitler youth or whatever. And so I do think that maybe this is not the worst sin in the world for Max to have made a very flippant remark about him being a cuckservative, but it's also not good. Well, um, no, I don't think he deserves I, I, a pass like, on this. like, don't get me wrong. I think Max Fawcett, I'm not going to defend Max Fawcett because Max Fawcett ain't defending himself. He, like, he, <laughs> he, knows, he knows he screwed up here. So it's interesting to me. There's a couple of interesting things for me to note, and that is the way that both sides of the gun issue debate have used the Parkland survivors to their own advantage in an interesting way, mm. and that both of them are using them and instrumentalizing them to get their point across. Yet if you actually attack them in any meaningful way, of course, the backlash is rightly overwhelming because well, no, now no, you're no, attacking no, no. kids. That's not thing, fair. Right? You can. There has been substantial amounts of disagreement. Oh, 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 and I will say, like some of the actual attacks that particularly, you know, Emma Gonzalez and and a lot of these kids have taken have been horrific and overwhelming. So, yeah. like, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's okay to attack these kids. I really think it's not. And I think that you know, Max himself would say like it's not okay to go and attack some of the kids who are these survivors who are going and advocating yeah. for gun reform for laws. And then he would also acknowledge his own hypocrisy in doing the same. So, yeah. like, it's you not... You can disagree with them. I well, mean, you can disagree with them. Like, that's that's like, fine. So Dana Loesch at this, you know, CNN Town Hall disagreed with them to their face and there was a back and forth and no one thought that was a problem. No. But then Dana Loesch went on NRA, you know, .TV and started spouting off these conspiracy theories about them all being puppets for, you know, some international, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, you know, anyway, brackets so. Jewish conspiracy. So, you know, I think there's 100% a level of respectable dialogue you can have with these 
teenagers, you can disagree with them. Yes. That's fine. Yes. Don't go saying that they're, you know, part of the George Soros international totally, anti-conservative conspiracy yeah, completely or that agree, they're, completely you know, agree. crisis actors and shit. No, or no, like, which, is, which is completely insane. But actually, I do think it's interesting that these kids on both sides, so you do have Parkland survivors who are advocating for guns and you have Parkland survivors who are, of course, way out front advocating against guns. It's interesting to me that both sides of this have been able to sort of actually get their points across. And yet, because of who they are, they hold such moral weight um, mm-hmm. within their respective audiences that you can't attack them in the way that you – or you Good. shouldn't attack them. You shouldn't attack them. Exactly. They're fucking exactly. teenagers who just survived which is, school which, shooting. Which is, which is good. I'm not saying that's not good. I'm not arguing that that's not good. It's good. Don't attack kids, just so that we're clear. <laughs> there we go. Don't be, don't be, don't don't be attacking attack kids. kids. Justin, you're in a liberal coastal elite. What is your crowd full of lactose intolerant, gluten-free Twitter mobsters raging impotently about? Weirdly, you went with some left-wing person on your feed uh, getting attacked by the right. I'm actually going to pick someone on the right in my feed because I think it's interesting. And also because I got really annoyed by them this week. So if you are in Ontario, maybe even if you're not, if you listen to Candleland, you might be familiar with Ontario Proud. Basically, the conservatives' foremost shit-posting anti-liberal meme account. They generally just slap on a picture of Kathleen Wynne or Justin Trudeau with some big white text with a black trimming and make some sort of joke about, you know, their moral failings or whatever. Generally, it's pretty harmless. You know, at best, it's actually kind of criticizing the government for legitimate policy failings. At worst, it's just dumb jokes and shit posting, like I said, that they pull directly from Reddit. But there's one thing that actually really bugged me this week. I I really, I actually even uh, sent it to Jeff, who, who runs the site and told him that he was pissing me off. But it's a picture of Justin Trudeau in front of a Service Canada sign. And it says, remember people kind? Trudeau has done it again. His government just ordered Service Canada reps to stop using these words. Mother, father, mister, miss, and missus. Share if you think Trudeau is out of control. And honestly, fuck off. This bugs me so much. Listen, if you want to legitimately go after the government, even for the dumb, symbolic things that you don't like, fine. But don't make shit up when you're doing it, you know? I realize you're a meme account, but you're also functionally a political action committee, and you have an impact on you get really politics. passionate about meme accounts. I am getting really passionate. Th- this meme, accounts. meme accounts did, are getting more shit, read than a lot this, of newspapers this, these this days. posting meme account say something kind of well, stupid? <laughs> That is that. <laughs> Look, listen. So they actually they did an update later on, and they they are actually bragging the fact that it has ten thousand shares and nearly four hundred thousand views in four hours. That's crazy. I wish any of my stories that I wrote on a day to day basis had four hundred thousand. Well, you just views. need to start taking pictures and putting giant <laughs> white maybe with I black do. outlines on the front. And... But I have to report things truthfully. Evidently, Ontario Brown doesn't. And that pisses me off. Now, well, clearly you know, we're in the wrong market. I mean, the market is telling us very clearly where we should be, and <laughs> we the should, tr- we should we actually be posting untruthful shit posts on Facebook. Let's that's turn actually, this podcast into a meme account. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently we can say whatever the fuck we want, and we'll get a million views I mean, in eight I hours. Mean, really, we could say whatever we wanted. I mean, there's no, no one stopping us from saying whatever we want. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Andrew Shear is secretly a bird. Like f- <laughs> fuck off. Bird? I'm picturing him as Big Bird now. <laughs> with, giant, 
with giant sort of yellow feathers coming no, out of him. And actually, and, and it would. So I pointed this out to Jeff, to and Jeff, you know, the guy who runs this account, Jeff Bollingall, says, "Oh no, 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 we recognize that you know this story isn't definitely true because, of course, it's not true. Service Canada never told its employees they could stop saying Mr. Mrs. Father. It just said you should not assume it when someone picks up the phone. Those words are still amazingly in use for civil servants. Now, when I pointed that out to Jeff, he goes, "Oh no, no, don't worry, we updated the post, and here's their update that maybe pissed me off even more. Update: The government says it's backing down after Ontario Proud turned up the heat with this viral graphic seen by over one million Canadians as of this update, and of." Of course, they're claiming that, you know, the government clarifying what the actual new policy is was a result of Ontario Proud's dumbass meme. Honestly, Ontario Proud, do better. Please do better before we have to start fucking regulating meme accounts. That's all we fucking need at this point. God, just it, just take it to the lefty to automatically <laughs> go to government censorship on Facebook. This is on fake Facebook. news or this is alternative facts. Yeah, that's great. Let's get the heritage minister on it. So, Jen, in our last episode, you and me spent a good amount of time mocking the Ontario NDP and its impending loss in the upcoming election. Which is probably not totally fair because I really don't actually know anything (laughs) about the Ontario NDP. Also, they hadn't yet introduced a number of their silly vote buying schemes, including a $1.2 billion dental plan. Yeah, you call it vote buying scheme. I call it reasonable government policy. Yeah, it's splitting hairs. Well, it turns out that someone out there in NDP land was listening and apparently bad at their jobs because they offered up an NDP candidate to come speak to us in studio. That candidate is Merritt Stiles, who's running in the Toronto riding of Davenport. She's a school board trustee here in the city, and she's the former president of the federal NDP. She came down to studio to tell us how her party planned on not screwing up the impending provincial election. Let me go straight to the first question. What are you going to do to avoid losing this time? Because, I mean, the NDP has a pretty good track record of losing. Well, we're often the underdog. I think that's one way to look at it. But in my riding, I think what we need to do is hold on to that vote we had and build a little. And I think we're going to do it. But I think across the province, um, what Andrea Horvath has to do is make clear that she is the change that Ontarians are looking for. Because I really believe that this election is going to be about change. Um, and I don't, you know, honestly... Polls change all the time, too, right? So I don't really, I'm not even feeling that. I just feel that that's where things are at after 15 years in power for this government. I feel like every party nowadays runs on a platform of change. Even if they're in government, they're still promising change. So what does that actually mean? I mean, people are getting pretty tuned out by this promise of change, change, real change, honest change, change that matters, change that's better. You know, it's just variations on the theme. There you go. What actually will convince people that the Ontario NDP change is legitimate change or change for the better or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it it is kind of hard to swallow a government that's been in power for 15 years saying we're going to bring change. I mean, this is kind of what their budget was about this week. If we could just sort of start there. I mean, the Liberal budget this week was about a whole bunch of promises to deal with issues that they frankly created. You know, like there's a reason why childcare in this province is the highest and most expensive in the country. And it happened under their watch. Um, and so where they try to solve some of those problems, um, they are problems of their own making. And it's going to be really hard, increasingly difficult for them to argue that they're the ones who are best suited to make the kind of change that people have been looking for. And there's a huge number of Ontarians that want progressive change. We know that. And so I think for the NDP, it's convincing people that we can form government, that we have the ability to do it, that we have the kind of ground strength. I mean, some of it is that, right? It's actually being a presence, which is something you pointed out in 
that podcast, uh, this this idea that Andrea is missing, which I have to say, I've seen that come up among pundits. I sit on a lot of panels, mm. do a lot of commentary, and I've seen it kind of coming up, trickling in. I think it's part of a, of a strategy on the path of the liberals and the conservatives, too, to plant this seed that we're nowhere. The NDP's always been a super effective opposition, will continue to be, and we've got to put forward some really solid platform commitments to convince people that we're going to be able to make the change in a more effective way than Kathleen Wynne and her liberals. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So let's talk about the childcare proposal to start with. Kathleen Wynne comes out with, you know, a, a budget promise for a significant chunk of money to basically make childcare free for children three to six years of age. Where's your plan? I mean, you know, the Ontario NDP has often said we want, you know, uh, more childcare spaces, more affordable childcare spaces. On the federal level, Thomas Mulcair made a big pledge that ultimately, you know, kind of fell a bit flat. I mean, walk me through what the Ontario NDP would do and maybe that kind well, of explain. we haven't explain, released yeah. our yeah. platform yet, right? I mean, it's coming out in a couple weeks. So this is one piece that we haven't released the details on yet. In yeah. the past platforms, we've always talked about a universal approach to childcare and making it more affordable and providing more nonprofit affordable spaces. This isn't a universal childcare plan that this government, they keep touting it as a universal childcare plan, three and a half years old and up. I mean, what they're doing is they're effectively providing childcare for those childcare spaces that are the most affordable, frankly, for the government. Um, where people need childcare, most of all, what I find in my riding and in Toronto generally anyways, is that where people really need it is for those infant and toddler spaces. And that's what allows you to get back to work, whether it's part-time or full-time. That's the spaces that are the most expensive, that require the most childcare providers, ratio-wise. So all of those things, like they kind of went the easy way out of this one. The NDP in, la- in past elections has also provincially proposed, I think, a $15 a day childcare model along the lines of what we do mm-hmm. they've, is done in Quebec and they've promised in BC. But I've heard, you know, and I again, I don't have it here in front of me even, but my understanding is that the NDP's promise is going to be bold and we are talking about a truly universal program. To me, universal... $15 a day national It's not universal, care. though. It's only a limited number of spaces that would roll out over, you know, a five, six-year period. My, my point here is, do you think the NDP needs to start thinking about the word universal as opposed... I think that's true. And I think that may be partly why people are looking at, you know, other options, other programs. There's different ways to do it, right? Yeah. Quebec went one path and everybody thinks that's great. I mean, the funny thing about that program and that platform promise in the last election was actually what a lot of people found was like in Quebec, where we wanted to hold on to a lot of seats and where we needed to hold on to a lot of seats, it was kind of irrelevant to them because they already have a plan. So actually, I think that was probably like politically, strategically, the biggest issue with that plan. But the plan itself connected with people. I mean, the the thing here, though, is, right, Um, anything like that, well, that's the thing, right? Like child, but that's the thing. These are all, you know, we're going to put out bold promises and ideas and platform commitments. And I have no doubt that our plan in the end is going to look bolder and more exciting than the liberals. But at the end of the day, it's convincing people that you can actually form government. I that you are actually the strong alternative. And I, I think that's Is the that thing. the case, though? Because, you know, the, in the last election, I mean, or the election before that, or the election before that, no one doubted the NDP could win government. The NDP has won government in Ontario before. It would not be a shock to anybody mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Uh, Andrea Horvath became premier. But the reality is people decided not to vote for her. You know, she lost many of her seats in Toronto, even. But the last election was quite different, if you recall. Like, in the sure. last election, we uh, were in a minority situation. That's not the scenario we're in now. What I'm finding is is that a lot of people at the doorstep, a lot of former liberals and also people who have voted strategically, quote unquote, in the past here, are are disappointed with their choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, every party has issues where they do particularly mm-hmm. well on. Mm-hmm. And for the NDP, you'd think it'd be housing. I mean, the conservatives 
they don't want to mess with rental and housing markets. Fine, that's their prerogative. The Liberals, uh, you know, they haven't had a lot. They've talked about some foreign buyer tax disincentives, and that hasn't worked super duper well where it's been tried. So I think everyone's waiting for the NDP to come out and actually, you know, put something forward. And fair enough, you know, pushing developers to make some of their stock affordable cool, but that doesn't push down overall pricing. No, I think that's, you're right. I mean, there's there's two different issues, right? One yeah. is affordable rental, which is what I tend to be talking about a lot. And the other is dealing with the cost of home ownership. And, you know, I guess I'd look to maybe more along the lines of what the BC government has been willing to do versus what, you know, I think the Ontario government, you, you look at the impact and in BC has been much more significant than anything that's been accomplished here. So, I mean, again, Andrea is going to unveil more details of the platform in the next couple of weeks. So I don't want to give too much away, but I think that no, there are many, many <laughs> bold ways to go about it. And I think that, again, like I think what's interesting about it, though, is that the liberals didn't say anything. And that, to me, means that they're, they're assuming that those folks are going to vote for them anyways, I mm. think. And I think they're wrong. I think people are really disappointed. I mean, they're disappointed in so many things, liberal, like electoral reform is another big one, even though that was a federal commitment. People are really down on on the liberals for breaking some of those. Let me promises. flip that though, because you said that you know the liberals are assuming people are going to vote for them. Yeah. Is the NDP assuming people are going to vote for them because they're disappointed in Kathleen Wynne? I think what we assume is that well, we assume anything really because yeah. anything can happen. But it would seem that people are looking for change, and that after Doug Ford is change exactly. So people are looking for change, and what we're saying and what Andrea has said all along is uh, you don't have to choose anymore between bad and worse, you can choose better. And that this idea that we've been choosing liberal or conservative and going back and forth you know, for generations, really, in Ontario, except for that one moment, um, <laughs> then, you know, well, you know, I, I was there. I was very, very young, actually, practically I, in diapers, but I'm I was there. To, I am here for defenses of Bob Ray because I think it's interesting. So if you want to mount a good defense of Bob Ray, mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. interested in mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I think we did some really smart things in a really difficult time. I think some of the things that we tried to do, like um, employment equity, were way ahead of the time, right? Like really ahead of the time and, you know, probably needed a couple of mandates to make it happen. And I think that's partly what was, and to talk about those things during an economic recession like we faced was, was I think, political suicide, but it was an important one, right? Like, I totally defend employment equity and everything we tried to do there. But, you know, I mean, there's many things that we tried to do. Some of them, we have, some of the labor legislation we brought in was super progressive and then immediately repealed by the conservatives. And then the liberals didn't really do much to change it, right? I mean, until more recently, they've started to make a few moves that way. But that's the other thing, right? You, you form government 15 years and you start to pull these things out of the hat in the last few months, it's kind of questionable. So, you know, maybe it will be enough for some people, but I think a lot of people are looking for change. And Andrea looks very fresh, actually. I mean, seeming very confident. And I do know that the NDP is planning to run, spend twice as much as they've spent in past campaigns in Ontario. So, I mean, there's there's some good opportunity here. So, you know who else is fresh and new? It's oh. Doug Ford. <laughs> so, you know, let's, yeah. even let's, no, just, let's yeah. assume that Kathleen Wynne gets zero votes because, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's, that's a real possibility at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, what? There's a lot of people in this province that are looking at Doug Ford and looking at Andrew Horvath and thinking, I know Andrew Horvath. I've seen her campaign three times now. I know what this what this playbook is. Doug Ford's here. He's promising to reduce my tax rate to zero in some cases. That's literally what he's promising. Yeah. Um, and promising, you know, the moon and eight other things in a, in a truly different campaign. It's not a traditional progressive conservative campaign. And it could be a definitely a roadmap for future conservative parties all across the country. I guess I'm asking, are you being a 
bit complacent when you're saying, you know, we're going to, you know, introduce this, you know, these responsible, thought out things that we've already sort of workshopped here and there. When you're facing a guy who is running mm-hmm. just the most unorthodox, weird, irregular campaign in Canada. I mean, I think that we have to come out fighting absolutely against Doug Ford. It is partly also the role of a leader in a campaign to point out the issues with the other party's platforms. And his platform, as it seems to be evolving, has many. And I think just like in the last election, Tim Hudak had, you know, didn't really want to fess up about the number of jobs that would be cut initially. I mean, $6.1 billion, And then here he's talking about another 2 or 3% on top of that, maybe. What does that really look like? I think that is partly what we obviously have to communicate to Ontarians. And I, I actually believe there are a lot of conservatives, despite the fact that his opponents in the conservative leadership race have come out now and are, you know, patting him on the back and everything. I think the truth is what I hear is that in many areas of Ontario, there are many conservative voters who do not want to support Doug Ford. So, yeah, it's a bit of an unknown. He is an unknown. He's new. Isn't it possible there's just as many, you know, blue-collar union card-carrying member NDP voters who are going to jump ship to Doug Ford? I mean, you saw that in the U.S. Half of the Midwest voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, but that's why... I think that's why we have to put forward a plan that is believable, that means a better life for people, that addresses some of those issues that include affordability for a lot of folks who are hurting, that will actually make an immediate difference in their lives. I mean, and also, by the way, like deal with the economy. I mean, I mean, there was nothing in that budget, the liberal budget on the auto industry. And if people really think that, you know, Doug Ford's going to go out there and say, I can manage the economy because I've managed my sticker company I inherited from my dad, then, you know... Maybe he'll be able to sell people on that message. But, you know, the reality is that this is a big, complex economy and nobody is really talking about it except, I think, New Democrats. I mean, in big parts of this province. So I think in the north, in the southwest, that's where we're going to really see some impact as well from the NDP and and where we're going to be fighting conservatives. Absolutely. And he's going to have to have something smart to say. And so far, he has not. Is that, well, is that the understatement the, of the century? The Doug Ford I know is a very articulate guy, but thank you really? for coming. No, I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Uh, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Maybe we'll be hearing from you some more during the campaign. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for inviting me. That was Oppo. I'm glad you learned something, Justin. Yeah, I learned that you're a gun nut. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, we want to know what you think. Email us at oppo at canadalandshow.com. We're at almost 170 reviews on iTunes, and we have a sterling rating of 4.5 stars. Somehow, it's probably not bots. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating. You can also find us on Twitter at oppocast. I look forward to my dad single-handedly reducing that rating <laughs> through the numerous troll accounts that he will be signing up for from his basement. The next episode of Oppo will be out in two weeks. Canada Land's original deep dive politics show commons will be out next week this episode was produced by david crosby for canada land media our managing editor is kevin sexton music by nathan burley i have the last word this week and that word is tea oh that's nice very polite can you tell me how to get how to get to sussex street Fucking weird. That's our new that's our new theme song. <laughs> Done. Let's do it.